0: The, the topic, as Josh mentioned, that I'll be sharing with you today is, is the way to eternal life. And I'm going to jump right into it because the passage is Mark chapter 10, was 17 to 27. Mark chapter 10, was 17 to 27. <clears throat> it says, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? the word that has endured the ages, O Lord, and we thank you that you have given us the opportunity to to have your word, to be introduced to it, to be able to read it, to be able to look through it, O Father. And we pray, O Lord, God, more than anything, that our hearts would be open to your word and that you, O Father, would, would speak today in Jesus Christ. Precious and holy name we pray. Amen. The kingdom of God. You know, one of the purposes as to why Jesus came down is to let man know that the kingdom of God is at hand and that men ought to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is what Jesus states that we should all pursue. There is nothing else, nothing else at all that should captivate our attention, nothing else that ought to be as so vital to repent and believe the gospel. And in this passage that we just read, We have here this pursuit shown to us by this rich young ruler. And I say rich young ruler because when you read Matthew, you read Luke, you see that the same uh, narration is given and they use the word young man, rich ruler. And so we get this compilation that this is a young rich ruler. And you, you see that he runs to Jesus. And when you look at the kingdom of God, it is so surprising it is usually, if not always, the opposite of what the world or what we think it should be. It always leaves us in a state of stupor. And when we think about how we can enter into the kingdom of God, we are often reminded of verses in the Bible that says how you can't enter the kingdom of God. You know, First Corinthians 6 verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, it says it talks about how the unrighteous, the lawless, shall not enter the kingdom of God. But in the passage we just read, we have the exact opposite. Not only do we know at this point that badness doesn't get us into the kingdom, we now have a situation where, if I could say, goodness is not enough to help us into entering the kingdom of God. You see, in, in this day and age, you tend to have at least at least two groups of people, crowds of people. You have those who say, you know what? God is love. God loves us all, and He will ensure we all get to the kingdom of God. That's how we're going to have eternal life. We don't have to do anything. There's nothing to worry about. He's got it covered. The other crowd says, no, 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 we must do good. We must pursue to do all things right. Be neighborly. Do everything in the commandments. Ensure that we got all the check marks done and we will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't need to go to church. I don't, I don't need to, to, to learn doctrine or fellowship with other believers. I just need to live a good life. And that should be all that matters. That's what will get me to the kingdom of God. And this is the group of people that gets addressed in Mark chapter 10, the passage we just read. This is a message for every one of us, and it applies to all of us. Of all the encounters, this is one encounter that tends to surprise most people in regards to the ending. Because here you see this man, who in your mind you would say, Wow, this is a man the Lord would delight in. This rich, young ruler. This would be the guy who would receive a warm, warm welcome from the Lord and would enter the kingdom. In the modern view of a Christian, he would be the perfect Christian, but he's outside the kingdom. And we see he walks away in sorrow as we read the passage. We see how the, the disciples themselves are astonished. If not him, who? If not him, who can be saved? The disciples couldn't grasp this. Isn't he in? If he isn't in, who is in? The kingdom of God is completely unnatural to the natural man. It is in polar opposites. And the only way we can start to comprehend it is by discarding all our preconceived ideas and notions. Approaching Jesus with humility, willing to soak in his teaching and follow him. So we, we, we all think we know what it means to be a Christian, and we all believe we know how it is that we can enter the kingdom of God. And this is exactly what the disciples thought as well. But our Lord shows us all together that, hey, listen, the disciples were entirely wrong. So let's look at the, the rich young ruler. We have this young man. He rushes to Jesus. He runs and kneels before him. And in his heart, he knows that there is something that he still lacks. And so he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, now, of all the things, this is one of the things that we've got to be impressed about this young man. You know, he's able to comprehend that he lacks something. Irrespective of all the achievements he has, all the accomplishments that he's been able to garner in his life, being a ruler, being rich, you see that he has this feeling of inadequacy. So he says, he's not you know, like the Pharisees who, who go before God and state, you know, I thank you that I am not like the other people around me. This young, young man doesn't claim to be righteous or state that he has all the answers. He's different. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, we don't know what caused him to ask this question. You know, we can... We can kind of figure out he must have been walking by, hearing Jesus speak, hear the words, hear the words about eternal life, and he comes rushing in. He doesn't want, he doesn't have this eternal life, and he wants it. He comes to the Lord with urgency. There's no better question than this that one should ask. Now, Jesus looks intently at him, and it says that Jesus loved him. This is like the best start one could, anyone, could ask for. You know, the first time you read the first few wor- uh, sentences, you believe that this is going to end well. You know, this young man probably inherits eternal life. But here you have irrespective. With all his zeal, with all his humility, he, he says, listen, I've, I've kept the commandments. But yet at the end, he walks away disheartened, sorrowful. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. Why did he go away? Why did he walk away sorrowful? Why didn't he enter the kingdom of God? Well, the answer to why this young man went away is because it's this. There was this profound misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. Profound misunderstanding. That's why we can see that Jesus adds this comment, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It is nothing but the profound misunderstanding of the kingdom of God that causes this man to walk away, grieved, wounded in his spirit. So we have to ask ourselves why. And I'm going to give you three reasons as to why he turned away. One, because of what Christ didn't say to him. What Christ didn't say to to him. You know, he came to the Lord expecting a specific answer. He expected the Lord to say to him particularly specific things. We We can see this from the question he asked. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He came to the Lord expecting that he would confirm his certain ideas that there was something that he had to do he asked the question but in his mind he expects an answer back the way he has it formulated in his mind we and we all do that we all come to christ we become concerned about the kingdom of god with preconceived ideas and notions and we come to him for confirmation and this man he didn't get it Allah didn't say to him what he anticipated He expected our Lord to say what you need is that you have to add something to what you already have done and achieved. He was hoping to hear Christ say that there was one additional thing that you missed out that you need to add to enter the kingdom of God. To hear that you're, hey, guess what, young man, you're three-fourths of the way there. You just need to do the following and you will be in the kingdom of God. But Jesus didn't say that. He never says that. We all think that Christianity is something... We all can just add on to our life. It isn't the case. There is something completely explosive about it. It demolishes all that you have. It's completely different. It's all about starting fresh. You are born again. You do not add on to it. Your righteousness is like filthy rags, and you do not add on just like this young man thinks, what must I do apart from all that I have done? The young man walked away because of this. He was also expecting Jesus to tell him that there was something that he could do with comparative ease. You know, here we have this man. He says, Hey, listen, I've kept the second table of the commandments, the six commandments which in particular talks about how we deal with fellow human beings, on your father and mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against thy neighbors, you shall not covet. The first four commandments are the first table, and it's in relation uh, with God. The fact that he comes to Jesus asking him if there's something he can do shows us he is already having a seed planted in his mind, that I need to do something, I need to accomplish something, and then I'm good, something that's achievable. But what Jesus asks him to do is something he won't do. The entry into the kingdom is beyond his capacity. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all is possible. You see, this is the mistake that mankind makes, that we all make, that we in some way can earn our salvation, that a man by striving can enter the kingdom of God that a man by doing something can make himself a child of God. And you get this resounding shout from the Word of God says, No, you can't. Now, the second reason why he went away sorrowful was because of what Christ did say. Jesus told the young man as plainly as possible that morality and goodness are not enough. The young man says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit life, eternal life? And he says he has kept the commandments since he was young. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't committed adultery and so on. All these I've observed from my youth. And Jesus looks at him, scans him, if I could say so, intently, looks into his heart. And he says, one thing you lack. All that you've done, it's not enough. It's not going to get you anywhere. You can keep the commandments and it's not enough for you to get into the kingdom of God. Keep in mind that all that the young man said was this, the six commandments. Even if you kept the first four, it is not enough. This is the, the, the moral position of many people in the world. Hey, guess what? I live a good life. I live a clean life. I'm good to the people around me and that's enough. That does not let somebody into the kingdom of God. And so the young man goes away sorrowful because Christ told him the truth about himself. Jesus showed him the real trouble in his life, the truth that cuts, that hurts and offends. Here we see that Jesus shows tremendous understanding of human nature. And we see this even in John. John says at the end of the second chapter of his gospel, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Our Lord looks right into the depths of this young man's heart and his being and he expresses to him his real trouble, his real need. And here's the principle. We all think we know what we need. We all think we, that we are the experts when we diagnose our own cases. This man here does it the same way. He comes to one who reads us like a book. He comes to one who knows us better than we know ourselves. He comes to the one who can see through all of his camouflage, and he sees to the heart of the problem, and he exposes it, and it kills, and it hurts. It hurts. This is what Jesus said. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. That is what did it. In this particular case, the struggle the man had was with his riches. But you see, it wasn't the riches as such that was the issue. Jesus states, and the KJV captures this better, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, the trouble he had was not that he had riches and he was wealthy, but it was the pride and confidence that he had in his riches. The struggle he had was with the the power of money and all that he could do with his money. That is why a man with riches is in a very dangerous position, if I may say so. It is because with money comes power. And the problem with all of us is we pursue power. If it's power of money, if it's the power of intellect, if it is the power of speech, all pursuits of power corrupts. In his case, he was able to use his money the way he wanted, how he wanted to use it. It was all in his control and in his way. He probably did a lot of good with his money, but he did it according to his choices. Jesus says, give it away, all of it. Let me decide. It is his attitude and his trust that he has in his money. He was in charge and in control of his money, and with what he could do with his wealth, he trusted. How it would be foolish for us to think that all that the Lord is talking about here is just money. We are all holding on to something. We all have something we take pride in. And it is something that creates the obstacle that hinders us from entering the kingdom of God. So here we see Jesus asking the man to confront his issue. In confronting this issue, he can start walking towards the kingdom of God. Confronting the issue is the first step of repentance. He must understand where he is, that he falls short. This rich young man believes that he is right and there's just an additional thing that I can add on. Hey, listen, I've done the commandments. Hey, listen, I really want to hear about this eternal life, but when he hears that what he has to do is to go and sell, that's the last line. I can't. And we need to ask ourselves this question. Who do we put or what do we put our trust in? Has he put his finger on your particular sin? If you can't say yes, you haven't met him. The young man is confronted, confronted with his sin. He is confronted with the issue that is that he trusts his riches more than anything. And once he is confronted, he chooses to walk away sorrowfully. The young man walks away because the kingdom of God can only be entered in Jesus' way and nobody else's. Not on our terms. He makes a totalitarian request. Go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor and come follow me. It is a fundamental principle of the gospel of salvation. He decides how you enter the kingdom. We don't. And we must submit And obey Him. We must surrender our lives to Him. It's not our ideas. It is our Lord's and that is where the offense comes. The young man, he went away grieved and sorrowful because he thought he just needed to add a bit more to what he had already done under his terms of what was acceptable. But here Christ says, no. And it's impossible in his eyes. You see, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved, it is the power of God. The Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greek foolishness. Jesus says there is no other way. There is only one way, and that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the one way into the kingdom, and man hates it. People like Jesus as a person and His teachings. The Sermon on the Mount is applaudable, and they admire it. But when you tell me that he died for me and bore my punishment, it is immoral for them. Unbelievable. I can't accept that. I will not. And they walk away offended by the most glorious thing of all. As this man walked away, it is not us that decides but him, our Lord. First Corinthians 2 2 says, For I decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. First Corinthians 3 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. John 14 verse 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Matthew 20 verse 20, The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. This is the only way And you have to submit to it to have eternal life. But he could not submit to it. And he went away sorrowful. Christ requires your allegiance. Come. In fact, KJV says, pick up your cross and follow me. What does it mean? It means unwavering allegiance. It means to take up your cross. It may mean separation from your nearest or dearest as he is, as we have just seen. It may, it may mean leaving your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your home, your country, the cross. It may mean persecution at home, persecution from those who were once friends. It may mean a broken heart. It may mean going into the world and being considered a fool. It may mean you losing your job for the gospel's sake. Take up the cross and follow me is the call. He calls you to be a fool in the eyes of the world for Christ's sake. So he went away sorrowful because of what Christ didn't say. and He went away sorrowful because of what Christ did say. And the last point I have to make is that the third reason he walks away sorrowful is because he didn't realize his own need. He thought he needed something extra. He doesn't realize that he was under the wrath of God. He doesn't realize that he is hopeless if he doesn't turn back. He didn't realize that he was outside the kingdom of God. And if he stayed there, he'd be thrown into hell. He wasn't desperate. And that's the problem with those who have gone away from Christ. They come with good questions. And you might have had this. Individuals who come with good questions to tickle their intellect. And they believe they are good men. And as far as they go... And they have never realized that they are lost and they never realized that they were sinners. They never realized that they can save themselves and what is waiting for them and that their position is a desperate and hopeless one. If the young man had realized that he would have stayed and clung to Jesus, he would have not left his side, he would not have walked away sorrowful. And so now we got to ask ourselves as Christians, are we in the kingdom of God, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, are you under the power of Christ? If you're not, you have to know this is the main reason that you don't, do not realize your position. You do not realize the truth about yourself, that you are an enemy of God and that you're under the wrath of God. And if you die like that, you're going to go to hell, into eternal misery. If you realize that, you would not stay where you are for a second you would realize that He is your last hope and the only hope you have. This young man didn't realize that, and that's why he went away. The young man also didn't realize who Christ was. He just considered Him a unique and good teacher. He was nothing more in this young man's eye. A great teacher, sure, but he was missing the truth, and he came so close to discovering it. When he called Jesus good teacher. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? Do you realize what you're saying? He says, you call me good. There's only one who is good. Does this term really apply to me or doesn't it? Do you know the meaning of this connotation? You call me good and you're right. There's only one who is good and that is God. You've applied it to me. The young man doesn't know what he's saying. That he was so close to the truth. Jesus says, I'm the son of God who stepped down from eternity into this world. The young man doesn't get this and he changes it later to just calling him teacher. If you notice in the passage, one point says good teacher and the next time he addresses him teacher. He doesn't go the distance. He doesn't realize the truth. He had also completely failed to realize the truth about the treasure in heaven. Jesus says you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give for the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. He was ignorant about the treasure in heaven. He was an expert on the treasure that was on the earth. He doesn't know anything about the joy of forgiveness. He doesn't know what it means to be given in your life. He doesn't know what it means to be a child or a son of God. He doesn't realize what it means to be a joint heir in Christ. The rich young ruler had the wealth on this earth and probably had the envy of men around him. But Christ says it is nothing compared to the treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys nor do thieves break through and steal. He knows nothing about this treasure. All he has will soon be gone. When he dies, he can't take all this wealth with him. It will be left behind, decaying and crumbling. And as Job mentions, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. This is the state of every man's life. In the end, naked. Nothing that they can carry from this world to the other. This young man valued his earthly possessions and wealth more than the treasures in heaven. Talk about a horrible investment. He goes away. Sorrowful, miserable, unhappy. He would rather cling on to the treasures that he trusts more than eternal life that Jesus was willing to offer. See, there, there are two lessons that I would like to leave with you today, if not more. Have you realized the dangers of relying on anything in yourselves? Money, intellect, Morality, good living, good behavior, goodness, philanthropy. Put in anything you like. If you rely on any of it, you're outside the kingdom. And that's the first lesson. There is the fatal error if we would trust in anything in ourselves. Secondly, to turn away from Christ always leads to sorrow. The young man walked away sorrowful. And all who turn their backs on Christ have nothing but sorrow. You'll never have happiness in this world apart from Christ. You think you may have it, but it won't last. Sorrow. It's a world of sin and sorrow. A world of shame and unhappiness. Sorrow awaits all who turn their backs on Christ. Judas later turned his back on Christ and he went out and it was night. And he committed suicide. To leave Christ is always a spiritual suicide. You're turning away from your Savior. You're turning away from life, which is life indeed. You're turning away from God who came to die for you and to save you. You're turning away from the only one who can give you happiness, peace, and joy. There is no rest in this life and in the next apart from Christ. Don't wait till it's too late like the rich man and Lazarus, as we know in the Gospels. He wants to send a message to his brothers to avoid them from making the same mistake he did. But lo, it's too late. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal, everlasting life. I pray that today we learned from this young man how the only way to enter it. Eternal life is through Christ Jesus. And to turn away from Him is spiritual suicide. And He calls each one of us today to turn to Him and to reevaluate where our hearts are. Have we turned away from Him? I hope not. Father, we come into Your presence, O Lord God, asking for Your grace to be showered upon us, That you would forgive us, O Lord, if in any way we have put our trust in the riches that we have, in the the jobs that we have, in the families that we have, in our intellect, in anything that we take pride in. Father, we pray, O Lord God, that we would, if we have turned away from you, come back to you. That we would be so focused, that we would be so attentive, that we would pursue nothing else but your son that as he always calls, come, pick up your cross and follow me, that we would do so. That we would not be tied down by the things of this world. That we would be willing to follow you. And we thank you, O Lord, for the sacrifice that your son has given. And we thank you for the spirit that you have given us, O Lord. That you have given us, O Lord, this precious gift of salvation and we pray that lord god we would bring you honor and glory and that we would bring a smile upon our upon your face lord as we live our lives pleasing to you father be with us keep us and help us to draw closer to you in jesus Christ's precious and holy name